Welcome back to Australia, Ash. Thank you, mate. What have you been doing? Uh, being not in Australia. Man, thanks for the beer. And I pulled you up on giving me... Um, Bison's done a white beer, which you can tell you've been in Germany. Mm. Mm. Getting the taste for this sort of shit. It's real yum. Yeah, Germany was at the start of our run. And what's interesting is that there are more German beers in other European countries than local beers. Mm. Unless you went to bottle shops that had a big range. But on tap at a pub, it would usually be German beer. Wow, so they back themselves in. <sighs> what? They back themselves in like they're proud of having their German beer and they don't need to chuck other shit on tap. Oh, I guess yeah, no, so, sorry. I mean that, like, it's it's harder to find, like, locally brewed beers in other countries in a pub as right. opposed to they'll just have a German beer because I think that's probably quite popular stuff. Yeah. It's better than going to a pub here and getting Swan Draft and Carlton Draft. Definitely, yeah, mm. yeah. But, you know, they'd, and have a lot the, cheaper. they'd have the equivalent of Swan Draft of that country in every pub. Yeah. And then a German beer... And then maybe if it was a trendier pub, they might have a local cool beer. Mm. But yeah, at the bottle shops though, man, some of the most crazy microbrewery, <laughs> awesome stuff. Real delicious beer. It was and $10 awesome. Jägermeister bottles. In Germany, yes. And mm. that was really good. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of shots of them, real good. What was the maggotest you got? <clears throat> Probably one night on Jäger. I was sipping some Jäger and... <laughs> I think I had like maybe five too many sips because we didn't have shot glasses. So just pour into the coffee mugs right. there. And um, that is fun stuff. Eh? Before dinner, you know, you're nailing like, oh, if I can sneak another few shots in and then go to the pub and have one beer, I'll be drunk. Feel like, you know, when you first go out, when mm. you turn 18 here, get drunk on Goon. Where'd you go thing. to dinner that night? Don't remember. Oh. Probably McDonald's actually. <laughs> really? Got Maccas a bit? Uh, in Frankfurt, there was a Macca's right next to our hotel and there was not much else around. We were like in this industrial area. It was a bit mm. shit actually. But um, everywhere else, we were very close to either the city center or like, I guess, kind of like a hipster trendy part. And they always That's had good. like pizza or um, local food open till like one in the morning for yep. reasonable prices, except Switzerland, which was off <laughs> the charts expensive. Yeah. 80 bucks for two burgers. And chips with a beer and a lemonade. 85 bucks. That's crazy talk, hey? Please. Please. <laughs> it must be hard enough. I think about people that come to Australia on holiday and they just must be like freaked out by the prices. Because that's one of the coolest things for us when we go on holiday. It's like stuff's cheap when you're yeah. away and you want to drink heaps and eat heaps and stuff. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think the big... Because this is the first time I've ever been to greater Europe. Like I've snuck into Dublin on our 2012 tour for like 16 hours and that's it. The rest of it was inside the UK. And I got to say that in order of expense, like it was Germany was the least expensive and Switzerland was the most. And in between it was Sweden and then probably Finland was a bit more expensive than Sweden. Actually, it was definitely way more expensive than Sweden. But I think people say it's so expensive to travel in Europe because – you're paying like Perth prices everywhere. Yeah. And that kind of sucks because you're forced to go out for almost every meal. Yeah. Um, but because we did do Airbnb, we had a system where we'd go out for one meal a day, like a big lunch or a big dinner or a small lunch and a few drinks, Randy. And then <laughs> breakfast in the morning. And if it was at a hotel, you had buffet or something. And um, yeah, if we missed dinner, we'd make, you know, just 
uh, friggin' ham and bread and yeah. like local stuff that we obviously get here, but they have their own twist on it. So just experimented with local, easy to buy food from the supermarket there. Cool. Yeah. I like it. It's pretty good. And then heaps of like beers would just go past the bottle every day and just get like two or three Finnish beers and Finnish ciders, for example. And um, that was a cheap way to do things as well. When you say the bottle, do they have bottles there or is it part of the supermarket pretty much? Bit of both. In Sweden, they have a, it's, I think it's a state run bottle shop. And the prices are pretty good. And compared to something like the International Beer Store here, mm. where for some, what in Australia would be obscure beer, it's kind of, it's like the equivalent of our Australian craft beer here over there. Yep. And they were pretty reasonably priced, like maybe five to eight bucks per can or bottle. But you're talking about beer made by Dark Tranquility that's <laughs> eight and a half percent or something like that. So you only need one of those Whoa. for every two Australian Actually made beers. by Dark Tranquility? Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. Whoa. Pretty interesting. And it was quite delicious. What was it called? Uh, Atomic like, Earth or something. Uh, does it say on the bottle, made by Dark Tranquility? Yeah. Oh, How could you not buy it? Uh, I think it was called Atomic Dark Tranquility. Mm. Let's see what comes up. <laughs> Atoma. Atoma. Oh, maybe not. Beer. Dark Tranquility. I thought it was. Maybe it was Atoma. Sorry about this, listeners. <laughs> Googling on the fly. <laughs> if Dark Tranquility on, oh yeah. Beer. Oh, there it is. Atoma. It is Atoma, oh, of wow. course. Why would yeah, it be? Yeah, that's the, the album title. Maybe, yeah, beer came out at the same time. So that's the one I had. Crazy stuff. Slayer Beer. Motorhead, Motorhead. Beer. And I don't know who that is. <clears throat> Citrovin. That is crazy, man. So that was so actually it? really it nice. Good. Okay, so that's Imperial Dry Stout, 7.9%. So you'd get one of them for like maybe 40, 45 Swedish crowns, so like about eight bucks. But, you know, you only drank three beers a night and was just just lit enough to have a good night. <laughs> so it was up. good. Awesome. How was your Airbnb experience? Because I always oh, I have been saying on the old Bantles website about uh, how it could be good for bands on tour, I guess. Yeah. And it was cool. I agree. And one thing I did notice is that I opened a Airbnb account just before we left and I already had a listing from when we were on tour in the US. Oh, okay. So you must have put my email oh, in back then. Yeah, I may have. Yeah. And so my review came from there. Yeah. Like these guys were good. And so I got lumped in with it. Which gave me a bit of cred to oh, really? book some places, which was really cool. So, yeah, we, we only booked Airbnb in the places we stayed for a week or more. So, or whatever. So, Switzerland, Sweden, and Helsinki. So, Finland, sorry. And Finland, the one there was off the charts. It was more than anything we could ever hope for. In If I owned an apartment, it was as cool as something I'd wish to own. Yeah, right. Whereas uh, Gothenburg in Sweden was a little bit. It's like a studio apartment. The guy had, I think, let it go a bit and it was a little bit shit, but still perfect and in a really awesome location. Yeah. Public transport's so good and walking distance from everywhere. So it was really handy. And then Switzerland was also quite good. And for a place that's bloody expensive, it was like maybe a hundred a night. Yeah. So it was, we did pretty well. And that allows you to do things like cook a piece of meat or yeah, something. Yeah. It's not just a, a hotel room with... 
a kettle, like you actually get a kitchen and whatever. Yeah. So you and can save on breakfast, have toast and shit, you know, whatever. Yeah, and we did. And and all the places had coffee making facilities and yeah. it's those little things that you save money just every day by doing your ritual stuff. Whereas if you had to go out to buy breakfast and coffee every yeah, day, it adds up. like that. And cool because, I don't know, like it's just an, another added experience. Like you get to see what it's like to live there, I guess, or... You know, the location's always pretty cool, sort of residential, like you're living like a local for a bit as opposed to just, yeah, smashed in the CBD yeah. amidst other hotels. Yeah, and you can get takeout and you can get, um, you can buy a few beers and drink them back or just sit them in the fridge at home yeah, and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. So Food delivery? Did that? Didn't do that. Almost did it in a few places, but it wasn't necessary, man. Probably walked like four to six kilometers a day. Mm. Which was pretty nuts. Lose a few kgs. I don't know. I think I just maintained. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you drink so much and eat so much, at least, yeah, walking it off. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Cabo and Ash's Travel Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it was super cool. It was really cool. Didn't get to check out any bands over there. Bummer. One, mostly because we talked to uh, the couple of guys from Entombed when we were at Hammersonic and they were saying that, look, you won't find many gigs, many metal gigs because it's festival season. Yeah. And we were at just an awkward time where it was just before most of the metal season or in each country we were in, we were missing it by just a few days, yeah. which is a little bit annoying. But one th- the only gig I found that I would actually go to that I could find was this band Elder, who I think we've had a, one of my really? albums of the week. Yeah. Yeah. My friend at work's been they raving about them lately. Yeah. Okay. Putting it on heaps. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. It's not a band that I like remember every riff or anything, but I definitely like listening to their last album, Law, and the new one, I don't even know what it's called, but it's cool. And I was, I think I listened to it on the plane on the way over. And anyway, walking through this light, it was almost like a red light district cross hipster community in Gothenburg and went past this metal bar called The Abyss. Yeah. And I thought it was... um. Peter Tagren from Hypocrisy. Yeah. I thought it was his studio, The Abyss, but ah. maybe that's Norwegian or in mm. Stockholm. Or so. I don't fucking have a clue. No, we didn't. And this is the crazy thing is that that night Elder were playing in there and oh, it was about the right. size of maybe, yeah, about the size of Mojo's Bar in Freo. Yeah. Man, I think I've been to that one because I, I did go to Gothenburg years ago and went to some metal bar and they had um just jukebox with metal stuff on. and that. This Might had a been DJ... That. And we sat in there. So we went there a few nights later and found out that uh, Elder had been there a few days before. Spewing. And I'm like, you're kidding me. Because that would have been something I'd really enjoy, especially sure. in a real packed, I way prefer club gigs Intimate than venue, festival. Yeah. Like totally. So that would have been awesome. But yeah, the guy behind the bar, Australian, <laughs> speaks to me in Swedish. And I'm like, sorry, mate, uh, English, please. He's like, oh, hey, dude, or whatever. And I'm like, what? G'day, cunt. And I'm like, why are you here? And he's like, oh, you know, used to playing a Japanese rock band. I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> and I said, oh, yeah, we're playing a band. We've toured in Japan. Do you know Yama Dark Ways? Nah. <laughs> anyway, he was super cool and we had a meal there. Uh, we got the Lawnmower Death Burger and the Autopsy Burger. Whoa. It's pretty awesome. And, yeah, a few beers and it was quite a cheap night. Heaps of 70s, like heavy 70s heavy metal going with this DJ. It was a pretty wicked night. Awesome. So, yeah, anyway, that was probably my only real musical experience except for recording in Germany, which we're just chatting about before. Tell me, please. It sounded good. I just had a bit of a sneaky listen to it, enjoyed it thoroughly. 
Yeah, recorded drums and live piano there. And it was, yeah, a hell of an experience sort of mashed together of a bunch of different recordings I've done in Perth with different people, like in terms of the attitude of the engineer, like he's like quite into um, analog and live sounds and not really into digital plugins or digital amps or um, doesn't like editing and just all this kind of stuff. He's a really organic sort of fellow, but also a bit of a like a – I think he reads a lot about interesting ways to capture things. And, um, and, but then on the other hand, he doesn't really care about, like he uses some Behringer equipment in there, which I wouldn't expect from his attitude about other things to think that that's okay. But, you know, he, I, I don't know. It was really interesting just sort of checking him so out. So how did you find him in the first place? Well, he and recorded why? my one of my favorite albums, which was Ahab the Giant. Not in this particular studio. He recorded their next album, oh. Boats of the Glen Carrig, in this studio, which was your album of the week, one of these weeks way back. And, yeah, we just – because I knew I'd be in some particular countries. I just started looking up bands that I like, that I like the sound of, and just thought, oh, I could sneak in there in one or two days, see what the prices are, and if it's affordable, I'll book it. And he was like – because Germany was the first place I was going – Ahab's one of my favorite bands. So I hit him up. Prices were like... So you just found his website, found the email, sent it? Yeah. I had to look, look him up. It was a little bit hard to find, but I did find him. And yeah, emailed the owner or I guess the guy who runs the studio website and said, look, first I actually said, do you dry hire it? Because I would engineer it because I didn't think I'd be able to afford it. But then he said, look, we don't dry hire, but he's the engineer you've requested and these are his rates. I was like, oh, okay, that's totally fine. What were the rates, can I ask? About, I would say it was about 600, 650 a day for a 10-hour day. Um, so that includes the studio and the engineer, which is about what we paid for dry hiring plus um, an engineer, one Alan Smith, for our tracking in for on desolate planes uh yet to be released album yeah to be announced album yeah i haven't announced the title of it yet <laughs> i think we've been you doing haven't? it on every episode oh funny. and it's like a funny joke yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah. <coughs> it is funny except we're never going to release it <laughs> so yeah i thought oh okay as if it's the same price as that i can deal with that and yeah, then good. yeah it was cool got your money's worth by the sounds of it and i guess even if yeah. not, a, not a product but what you've learned yeah totally what you, totally what you saw I just did it just to do something because we we did this album fucking so long ago. I just wanted to feel like I was being productive still because mm-hmm. it's weird having something sitting on the shelf. Yep. Um, broke a lot of my own rules in terms of being prepared. I had never played the songs on a drum kit before and that kind of was a bit – I could have got more out of it. Um, but once again, you book it at the last minute before you've written any songs. Mm. That's going to happen. <laughs> so, and you're on holiday and yeah. Yeah, that's cool. yeah. But it was really cool, man. And public transport in Germany allowed me to just bring a pair of sticks and rock up. Oh, and, I reckon that's so awesome, man. And yeah. um, something that people would never think to do, I reckon. I barely When you're on holiday, <laughs> you know, do something wacko like that. That's better than going to like a museum or to a walking tour or something. I don't know. Yeah, because it's sort of like a souvenir as well. So you get the experience plus you get to bring something home. These songs, yeah, we did. We recorded these songs on this holiday. 
Yeah. Almost better than a photo album. Yeah, definitely. And, yeah, it was cool to see someone else work and it's going in the old, like, the memory bank of studio experiences I've had and it was really cool. And I think what what it confirmed for me is that I I think it's it's totally true that it's way more about who's doing it and their style of recording rather so much than gear and it's also the room so i don't think you're a person in the room definitely yeah yeah and it makes me um and the musicians obviously yeah it would totally assuming that the musicians are competent yeah yeah i guess yeah the strategies of the engineer yeah so yeah it makes me like quite happy that in our local town we've got someone like al who we work with a lot and the reason why we do is because He's a nice guy. He's um, big balls, <laughs> massive testicles, <laughs> and yeah, he's same thing. He doesn't give you a real shit about the what the name says on the piece of equipment, but just what it does and how he uses it. And I'm always real happy with with that. And it's cool that it's in our local town. Whereas I'd hate to be somewhere where there's just one guy running the monopoly. Because um, I've been to places that are more expensive and have like the cool catchword stuff, but it doesn't feel good to be there and the product doesn't sound as good, you know, and it's just, yeah, so it's nice to have someone like that. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you need to go gallivanting all over the world to get that stuff, um, but it's nice to have the experience to know that, okay, well, he's awesome. If I'm ever in Germany again, I will fucking definitely go back there, but... I live in Perth and this is where I am and um, I know what I want to get out of recording. What was the city it was in? Mannheim. Mannheim. And that was a pretty awesome place. That's like medieval city or something, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so. We didn't do a lot of sightseeing because we were doing the studio stuff, but it was a really, really nice city. Kind of reminded me, I don't know what it was. It was just a very small city that was kind of like just nice. So small. We we were... (laughs) We were sit, uh, staying in a really nice hotel in a nice part yep. close to the city. So that gave it a really good feel. Whereas like in Frankfurt, we're in the industrial area and in Helsinki, we were in like a hospital area. So it was a, a little bit weird, just vibe. But yeah, my, Mannheim, I think we fluked at getting a nice place to stay as well. And public transport being so easy to get to the place that just made it cool. Yep. Awesome, yeah. man. Anyway, it was a good experience. And the main reason why is to go there, not so much for drums, because like I think we've gotten great drum recordings in the past, more just to track a live piano and just see what that's like and see some of the problems involved with it, like in terms of tuning. So we actually had to pay to get someone to tune the, the piano the day before we came in. And even still, you could hear some of the keys we're starting to slightly go out and I don't think it'll be that noticeable, but that isn't something else you have to deal with that you might not if you're using sample piano or synth or anything. And so now we have to track guitar to the piano. So there might be moments where some of the perfectly in tune guitar clashes a little bit. So then I might have to finagle some tuning or whatever to get it to work. But I think in, in terms of claim the throne, it's a good lesson like, 
because uh, unfortunately in Flame, we did try to record piano after we'd already tracked everything else. And yep. the piano was in tune with itself, yep. but it was pitched slightly out to our guitars. Yep. So th- without auto-tuning the whole piano, which I think would suck the transient, smear the transient vibe and everything from it. Um, yeah, we pretty much resigned ourselves to using synth-based stuff. So yeah, it was just a big learning learning experience and just an excuse to be productive again and give me something to do now that I'm back home, which is track guitars and bass and vocals and get to do a mix again. And Mm -hmm. yeah, which is nice. Wow. Awesome. Any other crazy things you learned while you were there? About in that music? Yeah. Uh, Not really. Like I like the piano thing. You were saying there was like 15 mics around it and. Oh um, yeah. Jesse, in particular, is someone who would like, if she fucks up, would go, shit. <laughs> While playing. And you can hear it in 15 microphones. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. So that was interesting. Uh, yeah, he, That's cool because we've never, yeah, recorded piano acoustically before. You don't need 15 mic. You, you don't need 15 no. microphones for a piano. You could get away with one, to be honest. Um, and, yeah, two if you wanted stereo or to mic the low and the high because piano is an instrument where just spatially it starts low at one end and then a meter away is where the highest sounds are. So if you put the microphone at one end, it's going to get tons of lows, but not a lot of highs. So it does make sense to do a a spaced pair or something like that, a stereo miking setup. Um, So that was interesting to see because I had actually never considered that as an issue, but yeah, but this guy has a, it's a very nice room. It's a huge room. It does remind me of the old Big Irk Studios, which I liked about it, kind of gave me a certain familiarity. Um, but one thing that was kind of crazy, and I think you heard it too when we just listened back, was that I was listening to the tracks on the plane through my in-ear monitors, which I brought with me, didn't end up using them, and uh, on the plane. And then I compared it to the boats of the Glen Carrig, and I was like, oh my God, I can hear either this EMT plate he uses or the actual room itself in the mics, I can hear the sound. And then you said to me, you can hear the room in the recording. And I was, it was really interesting to hear the similarities between the sounds. Yeah, the Ahab room, which is amazing. Yeah, yeah it was bizarre. I've never experienced anything quite like that before. Um, and, it, yeah, it just does go to show you, like, how Forged in Flame drums were recorded in a rehearsal room. Our Triumph and Beyond stuff was recorded at Begurk in a really big room with someone running the show that knows the room. So that's why those drums came out so great, whereas my effort recording in a rehearsal room, besides the fact I'm an amateur and blah, 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 it's just like the room has a really big effect on what you can pull out of your kit because on Triumph and Beyond and Forged in Flame, it's the same drum kit as well. So, yeah. It's really unusual. I've never experienced that before. Do you think different rooms work for different styles of metal, for example? Most like, likely. Would, would that room work for death metal? Um, I think the close mics would work fine, but I don't think you'd want a lot of room in death metal because no, there's not, not a lot of room in the mix for it, whereas like slightly slower music. And we went that way on the newer album where some of our songs were a little bit more open than they have been in the past. And I think those things can benefit a bit more from a room sound. But I mixed the new album and I don't think um, I would still call myself a complete and utter novice at using room sounds and stuff because 
most of my mixes I've ever done for other people include large portions of sample drums or um, program drums even in some instances. Mm. And it's such a controlled way of doing drums that, yeah, I've never um, quite sussed it on, mm. uh, I don't know what you call it, live drums, raw drums, whatever. So that's still a working process, uh, progress. And another reason, again, why I did this thing. Again. Again, to just to learn about it a bit more. So yeah, right. Yeah, cool, man. What else happened over there? Did you listen to yet? Time to listen to podcasts or music and shitloads on the planes, go about your normal life. Couldn't sleep a lot in most places. I, I don't know why, but I struggled to sleep on holiday. So I did listen to quite a lot of podcasts in bed while I was trying to drop off for the evening, and yeah, watched a bunch of Netflix everywhere, which is a Oh, yeah. Cool thing, because usually in hotel rooms... So Airbnbs have, have Netflix normally, eh? Well, the one in Finland had Netflix on this wicked TV, massive telly, but the other ones just had Wi-Fi and I had a laptop there. Yep. Okay, cool. Um, so we used that. So that was that was interesting. It's never really happened where we can choose what we want to watch Do while we're on like holiday. Do you get like Finnish Netflix if you're yes. in Finland? Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Yep. So it's same shit. Yeah. Just instead of having maybe like... um. I don't know, MasterChef Australia or something on there. <laughs> yeah. You've got MasterChef Finland. But the main movies are all the same and everything. So, yeah. But we didn't, you know, spend all the time watching stuff. But just, yeah, just late in the evening before going to sleep, watch some Trailer Park Boys or something. And mm. it's pretty cool. <laughs> mm. Bloody good one, mate. And, yeah, it was uh, a good trip. Yeah. It's like you're back before we even know it. Yeah, totally. Blink of an eye. What about you? I did listen, obviously, to the last podcast. We were going to try and hook up and do something. Yeah. And it would have worked while I was in Finland, but it's a bit, I think, midweek, not the best timing for you. I think if you're on holidays, you enjoy your holiday, I guess, and whatever. Um, Which, you know, what's an hour here or there. But yeah, also for me with the time difference stuff, I guess, yeah. But then when you were free, we were in a place where we didn't have a separate room. Our Airbnb was a studio apartment. Yep. Um, otherwise I would have done it, but, um, yeah, I did, I was loving the holiday and I definitely don't want to go back to work, but I was <laughs> really hanging out to just do anything mm. like play a guitar or, or drums or muck around with some music, do a podcast, hang out Yeah, because yeah, really how I view holidays almost is wake up, figure out where to eat food, where to drink and something to do. And that's what you do yeah. all day, every single day. And um, I wouldn't say I got sick of that, but I just, if you could pepper in somehow, like if I had a travel guitar or something, mm. I would, yeah, I think it would be perfect. Mm. So, yeah. But I will say one thing is I was glad to do the recording at the very start. It was like the first thing we did when we got there. Um, and it was great to do it at the start rather than in the middle because I was like, you know, at least... We'd played a gig recently and had some jams and stuff and felt okay. Whereas if it was like mid of week two after drinking Going and in. eating for two weeks, <laughs> yeah. like, it would have been the worst. So, yeah. Totally. <clears throat> cool. I mean, it's been pretty quiet over here. I've been keeping on the down low out of, uh, out of society while I can, which has been cool. Had a jam with our fill-in bass player the other night. His name's Razor Ray. He may or may not be listening to this show, but yeah, he'll be playing with us one day whenever we decide to release an album and do a tour. 
And that was pretty cool. And I was saying to you just before, we should probably interview him soon about his experience with learning our shit, but um, plays a four-string bass, whereas normally we have a five-string bass and our guitars are seven strings in B, and he is keeping his four-string bass tuned at, at, at E. So I'd sent him all the guitar profiles and um, assuming that he'd just be able to, you know, pretty much play the same thing as the guitars are playing. But, um, yeah, he has to transcribe them for, for the E-tuning. And, um, he's doing well and it sounds cool. Actually, I'm enjoying hearing it played a bit higher um, just for a change, I guess, because normally we have that like sort of heavy distortion bass that's low as like the brown note. And now it's going to be quite audible. Mm. So, yeah, it's pretty cool for a change. Uh, I hate to correct you, mm. but Jimmy used to play a six string. And then when he got his yeah. cool suffo bass. That's four. Sorry. That's four. But he You're tunes right. he tunes, tunes to, to B. B. Of course, yeah. yeah. Yeah, good correction. Which probably most people Which is, would. That's what I was also expecting Ray may have done, just tuned yeah, out to B. Yeah, yeah. It's like, no, no, I don't really like doing that. <laughs> okay, cool. Oh, man. Fine I with me. I love how pure Ray is. He's yeah. the best. Hey? Like when um, we talk mostly about vintage basses, like he'll see one or be tempted to buy something or I'll be searching around on eBay or something like that, find some cool shit send it to each other and he's just like that bass is what it is and does what it's supposed to do <laughs> otherwise they would have made it in a different way <laughs> like you know he'll probably correct me a little bit on that but i fucking love that and yeah i don't know in, in a way my attitude towards drumming has sort of been a bit more like that like you know i used to I've got a one, two, three, four, five, six. I've got a seven-piece kit available to me, but I only play a five because I figure anywhere on tour, most guys are going to have just a standard five-piece drum kit. And same with cymbals. I used to play, I think the most I ever played with live was like 13 cymbals or something, you know, uh, hats and ride, then a bunch of crashes and a couple of chinas. Well, I've stripped that all the way back to just uh, ride and hats, two crashes and a china, just keeping it really simple. So then my thing is that if anything gets stripped away from me, I'm used to playing something a bit more stripped back. Yep. If it's more, it might just be a bit more fun. But um, <laughs> I should, I've got 50-50 chance of being okay. And um, in fact, that is one thing about studio is that I didn't bring a drum kit to Germany. I just said I need a five-piece kit. Didn't tell him the configuration or anything. And I need a double pedal. That's all I told him and I rocked up. And essentially the kit was pretty much set up. He had it set up before I got there. Yep. That's pretty much how I would set up a kit. And that's, that's what that whole thing's all about is that if you do things the standard way, you've got a pretty good chance of that turning up. <laughs> yeah. You know, whereas like... um when we were talking on the live Blodgecast and um, Mordich Brothers guitarist Aiden said that his drummer is really um, likes his kit. And I know a lot of drummers who are very particular about their kit. But the, yeah, the way touring works, man. Got to be adaptable. You got to yeah. be adaptable. And even in the studio, we were just looking at pictures of our recording set up from February last year, the, these Claim of Throne sessions. And yeah, I kind of forgot that we switched out half of my drum kit because it sounded better using some of the drums that came at Underground Studios and it was just fine. It was just pull one out, chuck one in because I didn't need anything fancy, no fancy hardware required. It was just 
it is what it is. So yeah. yeah, I think that's pretty huge. Awesome. Yeah. I like it. And it's a bummer. Like you break, break a string on stage. It's like, Oh, does anyone have a seven string or anything tuned to be standard? And you can't, yeah. it's not like you can just do that. Well, to even a guitar. A, well, because most of the guitars that people have these days are floating bridge and you can't just tune them in two seconds. Mm, mm. So, and even if you do, uh, if you don't, if let's say someone's tuned to C, right, which is only half a step up from E, if you tune it down to B, the strings will be a bit floppier. The, if it's a Floyd Rose, it'll sink back into the, the cutout, the hollow bit behind the bridge a bit. So you've got to actually set up the whole fucking guitar for that tuning. And if it's a fixed bridge and someone's playing in E, yeah, okay, the bridge will be fine, but the tension will be sloppy and you'll yeah. be playing like shit. So crazy, eh? Yeah. Yeah. And um and that's one of the downfalls of living somewhere like we do in Perth, where you can't just go on a a tour for ten days and take two like a spare guitar because you're flying, you know? Like whereas if you live near other cities such as Sydney or Melbourne you can sort of do you know, maybe an eight show run or whatever along the coast and you can take whatever gear you want same as for drummers really you can take a couple of your own things but yeah when planes are involved not easy yeah I think the <coughs> the big thing with drums for touring is your pedals and I don't I don't even think your snare is a big deal for touring but your pedals and a couple of your cymbals. So I find if I play, so on 70,000 tons in the US, the second show we played, I just used, no, actually that was the first one. I just used some of the house cymbals there and they had a ride that was the same as mine, but it was two inches bigger. And halfway through that show, I felt like my arm was deadening because the feel of playing it was so much different. Same goes with hi-hats. You play a lot on your hi-hats using heavier or lighter things feel different and it kind of can throw you off a fair bit. So I think definitely the hats and ride are pretty important. Um, but yeah, on this recording as well, the symbols that I used because I didn't bring any were smaller and that was really odd. So I'm used to the, my symbols responding in a certain way and they just didn't. So you've got to yeah be malleable and be able to adjust your playing style for different stuff. Yeah. Or bring your own shit. And as a as an interesting note, after I played this snare drum, it was on this recording I did in Germany. It was a Sonor, can't remember, it's like I think it's the original dude from Sonor. It's his signature line or it's a tribute to him or something. And it's a Bell Bronze Piccolo snare, so it's 14 as is normal diameter by only 4 inches. But it is a bronze shell that is five mil thick, which is incredibly thick. I think some pearl and tama bell brass or bell bronze snares are that thick. Um, but yeah, it's got such a meaty, heavy sound. Looked it up on eBay, six and a half grand. Like they stopped making them years ago, blah, blah, blah. And then I was looking up other drum companies that make things that thick because I did appreciate how loud this thing was, how much it cracked. And I found this drum company and they also make aluminium drums for a kit and i think it's one mil shells and apparently it's like way lighter than your regular wood shell so i was thinking if you know if you were to buy and you could deal with an aluminium kit maybe you could bring some 
just if they were that light, I'm not sure how light they actually are, but let's say you could do the Russian doll thing. So you could put the shells inside stack each other, in, yeah. stack them in into one case. You might have a scenario where you get away with bringing wow. a part of a drum kit with you on tour. But apart from that, man, the only other option is either hiring a kit, which I think is a good option if you're really finicky about your setup, hire a kit in, in Australia, in Brisbane, and then drive it in a van with a, either a 12-seater with an extra back on it or a trailer or something. Mm. Um, or get an endorsement if that's possible and have, I think you get like half off hire or something and have them bring it to the venue in every city. But that's big band stuff. Yeah. You know, I don't think that's worthwhile. And no. at the end of the day, I think that for guys with really finicky setups and who love drummers with really crazy stuff going on, I reckon just get used to using normal shit. Yep. Until you get to that stage, you know, when you're not scraping the barrel for coins. <laughs> To make ends meet on tour. Like if you're at the point where you're profiting, then yeah, different different game. And I like the attitude of local Perth drummer Dan Granger, who has a really nice expensive kit for home that he uses for his home studio. And then he has a really cheap version of the same kit that he uses for gigs. So he'll and then, you know, he doesn't give a shit if I borrow it or someone else borrows it because it's like it's not his baby. Mm. Whereas like I've only got one kit, so that's my baby and that's what I'm yeah. lending to people. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if I, if I had like a wicked ass, I do have a wicked drum kit, but if I had some like cool ass custom, super amazing thing, I wouldn't really yeah. want anyone Don't go lending it. that. No. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, mm. this is the drummer podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, album of the trip. <clears throat> oh, Smashing Pumpkins, Machina. Really, Machina? Or Machina, whatever. Cool cool album. Doesn't, not the most consistent start to finish, but the good songs on it are fucking good, I reckon. Wow, okay. And one thing I love about Smashing Pumpkins is that they, metal guys will kill me for this, but the heavy bits sound heavy. They're not as like defined and like, uh, they don't cut through and blah, 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 but they've just got this heaviness to them and it's a lot of fuzz and it's a lot of distortion and there's definitely a lot of layers and maybe some cleaner layers of guitar over the top. But yeah, when they kick in, I, re- I reckon they've got this really cool way, uh, way of structuring their songs where, yeah, they allow these moments where they strum into these huge parts and have shit like flanger going on on a guitar track, on a rhythm guitar track and it's like swirling but if you weren't listening on headphones, you wouldn't notice. It would just give it this vibe. And, um, yeah, I really appreciate stuff like that. And I came up on Smashing Pumpkins, so I did listen to a lot of Siamese Dream on plane trips as well. And So they're a good yeah. band to listen to on the plane? Um, I chose to listen to them and Tool. Yeah. And I chose... I often listen to Tool on the plane. Yeah, I think they're real good. And with these in-ears, man, again, it's like 110 bucks mm. for a pair of Shaw in-ears. And it cuts out all that annoying humming, babies crying, people shitting their pants and vomiting next to you on the plane. And you can just hear the music, even though it's not like the most high fidelity sound ever. It's just because it cuts everything else out, it allows you to really listen to music. So wow, that was a happy accident that that occurred. I just brought them for the recording and 
didn't use them, but used them on the plane. Yeah. And yeah, I listened to Undertow and Lateralis by Tool. So I skipped Enema. Yeah. And I listened to Siamese Dream and Machina. So I skipped Melancholy yeah. and Adore. And um, it was cool to compare the two and listen to the sounds and stuff. And it gives me a real appreciation for the, um, <laughs> gives me a real appreciation for like just unique sounds. Yeah. And, you know, they've both got completely different voices to like stuff that we listen to on a regular basis. So it was interesting. Wow. Cool, man. What about you? Well, mine is Ed Guy Hellfire Club because Rosemary made on. me get into Ed Guy because I've never, <laughs> I always thought they were the worst thing ever. Yeah. Turns out they're not. But that aside, I'd be more interested to talk about the new Winter Sun than okay. that. Mainly because um, I didn't do the crowdfund because I thought it was absurdly priced and I just wasn't really interested in getting involved in it at all. But download it, put it on the phone, and it's the first first album in ages and ages that I've actually not listened to, like on Spotify. I mean, when you know, when I'm at home, like CDs, yeah, but actually having to go through the process of putting an album on my phone plugging it into the computer for iTunes and stuff. So it was good to get a bit of practice into that again. But um, Are you going to buy it? Um, I, I've heard of people paying 50 euros for a four-track album, which is just absurd. I'd, you know, I'd rather like, if I had thought about it properly, I would have, at the time of the crowdfund, maybe got like three or four people together to chip in for it. Mm. Maybe not the right thing to do, but. I don't know. The thing is, I didn't know that it was going to be avail- available anywhere else. Yeah, I thought the yeah. whole thing of the crowdfund was that was it. But now that I've seen it's actually in JB Hi-Fi on CD. It's, is it? I'm pretty sure. I haven't, I haven't seen it myself with my own eyes, but I've heard that it is. And you can buy the album. You can buy the CD from Nuclear Blast. Yeah, you definitely can. Um, it's on Bandcamp. I'd rather mm-hmm. buy it off Bandcamp, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, in that case, I probably will. Okay, so I listened to it and I was quite drunk on local Swedish beer. And while I'm listening to it, first thing I go, program drums instantly. Yeah. And then I went like, samples are ultra loud. I can barely hear guitar in it. And I listened to it a few times since. And I don't know, it just sounds like what it is. Unfortunately, we know the history of it. And he said it's going to be raw and it's going to be this and that. But program drums isn't raw. That's (coughs) cheap or that's easy, or that's accessible, you know? I took everything that was said, literally, and then it came out in a way, oh, okay, so you you are just rushing some songs out, blah, blah, blah. In saying that, I do like the songs. Not all of them, and or not every moment of them at least, but there are definitely awesome bits. I think there's one really good song on there. But for me, I just can't, I'm a stickler for listening to not organic things especially when they have such a great drummer in their band. I know the synth stuff is all, it is what it is. But yeah, for a band that are such great players, that kind of bugged me. And yeah, I think he did a good job of programming those drums. But again, I just it just sound, didn't sound like a band. It kind of sucked. Disappointing when you look at their back catalogue, I guess, or their one album or whatever, but... You know, yeah, and like you say, such great players. They've got the capabilities there. They've made all this money, I assume, it's profit for them. To build a studio. To build a studio and be able to do that. And, uh, you know, I'd like to think they do that going forward. Yeah, it was ironic that they raised all the money to build their own studio but released an album that 
seriously we could make in this room right mm. now if we were good at music yeah <laughs> if we could yeah. play instruments that good yeah um yeah it really sounds so like- the whole like you know the problems that he's had in the past of you know overloading the computer or whatever mm. not an issue i guess not mm. and that just that was always my thing about him in the past is that apparently the reason why the other album took him so long and bands can take as long as they want i don't care like that's their deal but yeah, he used the excuse in the past that their computer wasn't powerful enough. And you find out the things he's trying to do, they're trying to do too much with the computer rather than just committing to a sound yep. or, a, or a song structure or something. They want to have it completely editable up until the last moment. But great albums were just, you know, just made to tape back in the day. And they, the performances were what they were and that's it. Yeah, so it kind of kind of gives me the shites a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, look, they've got money for this studio now, so I expect from now that their next album or finally when they release this previous album they're supposed to have released, Time that it sounds whatever, yeah. ultra like it was recorded in a studio and not in a bedroom. Yeah. Apart from that, good music. <laughs> I think it's pretty Yeah, cool. I was a bit taken back at first because it's slightly different for them, I guess a bit slower and a bit slower and not so riffy as such, um, which is one of the reasons I've grown to love them. But after a couple of listens, yeah, I was hell digging it. Really epic, um, cool songwriting. I liked that there's less songs and they're just way more epic songs. So only four tracks, uh, all pretty long songs and yeah, done done really well. Thinking though, like just about the money, I'm, I think on Bandcamp they're charging 10 euros for it. So 10 euros for four songs. So if being an Aussie, I'll talk in Australian dollars that let's say, I don't know, let's just say it's $10, whatever. For $10, if that was available on Spotify, four tracks at half a cent per stream, if I listen to that 50 times, they'll get 10 bucks from me. So I've probably sort of been listening to it like two to three times a day for a week. So over the course of the first month of owning it, I probably listened to it more than 50 times to be honest. And so that, yeah, exceeds the $10. So if, uh, if I, if it wasn't Spotify, they may have got more money out of me by doing it that way. Just a theory really. And interesting enough, like if it was more than four songs, if that was like a 10 track album, it would take less streams for me to pay that $10. So is that true? The royalties thing? What, what do you mean? Listening to it three times a day for a month would equal 10 bucks. So let's say three times 30. Oh, three times 30 days. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, three times a day. 90 plays. Isn't it half a cent? Or half a cent, yeah. Is that oh, 10 Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. Sorry, I'm wrong. I'm thinking five cents. My maths is fucked. It's 0.005, not 0.05. Oh. Oh, that's 50 cents. Okay, yeah. So, <laughs> everything I just said, halve it. 0. 0.005. No, divide that's it by 10. All, isn't it? Divide it by 10. Hmm? $1.35. For, ha- for how many streams? 270 streams. Oh, that hurts. That does hurt. Hey, shit a brick. Shit a brick. That's interesting. Absolutely, right? Wow. Absolutely. Okay. But I'll put it to you like this. All right. You put out a new album. And you just release it pre-orders first. 
Yeah. Now that many people were willing to support them at, at me included, drunk, bought the thing without converting it properly to Australian from Euros. Yeah. And when it came out of my bank and it was like over 65 bucks, I was like, oh my God, that's way more money. And I also didn't read the fine print and I thought it was a physical CD. Yeah. It was not. So that, that gutted, it didn't gut me, but it was just like, ah, oh man, I don't listen to physical CDs, but I just know the cost of printing isn't that much. Yeah. And so many people supported it. If you just put out a physical CD or even a digital one with a T-shirt or something, I think it probably would have done as well on mm. Bandcamp alone. The other thing was, like you yeah. mentioned, that i got to go back in history and find this thing. Nice slippers. <laughs> um, <laughs> I thought they were only, this was the only way you were ever going to be able to hear it. Yeah. So now that Nuclear Blast are releasing it as well and it's on you, just all the usual stuff except streaming, I think that's ridiculous. And it does promote piracy. Pretty crazy. Um, on Spotify, while we're talking about it, I don't know how long this has been going on, but I've only sort of figured it out the last month. They've got, um, I mean, they always have these daily play, playlist things, right? But um, now they've got like a daily mix like they give you sort of personalized five different playlists. So if I'm heap listening to like heaps of the haunted as usual, like I always do, <laughs> it will, um, it'll give me like a full on like thrash melodic death mix one. And then because I listen to the band cake a lot, that will be number two. And it'll have all this like weird, you know, cake custard, Marilyn Manson or something. And then there'll be like a folk metal one, all these different mixes. And it's like amazing, man. I can just like, Press play on that, and I just love every single song every time. It's That's out of control. Crazy. Better than their their old um, sort of daily suggestions and stuff like this is really out of control. So, but if something like Winter Sun popped up on that, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'd stream the fuck out of it. Really, I'm not sure if you've seen this, but our good mate Bobby Osinski, who we both refer to quite a lot on this podcast, uh, posted this chart. And I know this is the first time you've looked at it, but I can explain it very quick. Royalties by streaming service. So it's, and it's from top to bottom. So at the bottom, YouTube per play is (laughs) 0.0006 cents. So it's not even half. It's 0.06 of a cent each play. Pandora, 0.0011. Spotify, 0.0038. Deezer, Google Play, then Apple Music, which is the other one we always talk about, is almost double Spotify per stream, which is pretty crazy. I didn't realize that. So Apple Music is legitimately more than half a cent, whereas Spotify is just like a little bit under half a cent. And then all the way at the top, which kind of blew me away, was the highest paying one is Napster, which was the original thing that kind of started the whole... Piracy. Does that still exist? Well, I guess you can stream off there now. They went legitimate. Um, but then then on the other side of the chart is total millions of users. Yeah, right. YouTube, which is the least amount of royalties per stream, has the most users. And Napster, who is the most paying, has the second least amount. Whereas Apple, Apple Music is about in the middle. Whereas Spotify is like oh, five times more than... Apple Music, but pays about two thirds of the price. So I thought that was quite an interesting. Man, chart. look at the the column that has plays needed to earn minimum wage. What an interesting. Holy stat. crap! 
So 2.4 million plays needed on YouTube to earn a minimum wage. And that must be per what? Wait, that's Snapster. Oh, no, that's YouTube. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Is I'm that per week? Uh, well, that's just in general, annually. No, no, no. Because it, it says minimum wage, 1,500 uh, bucks. Is that minimum wage in America? Nah, no way. Maybe that's monthly. Well, per week after tax, maybe that's about right. That's pretty high. It is pretty high. Fortnite? Or monthly. Mm. That must be monthly, right? I reckon monthly, yeah. It's got to be monthly. So, that is the worst. And what is the best then? Title. Wow. It's, which this is, is some fascinating um, stuff, dude. I've not seen this before, eh? And look how high Spotify up is up there. So, 130,000 plays on Title. Now, isn't Title the one owned by Jay-Z? And they exclusively so, yeah. released the last Kanye West album? Yeah. But yeah, I do like that uh, Apple Music is kind of like bang in the middle. But 230,000 plays, um, if, you know. If and when they say minimum age, I, I guess that's for one person. So if you're a band of four or five people, divide that shit. Um, that means 365. See, this is what's crazy, is that um, it would take... Just off Cabba listening to Winter Sun album once a day, four songs, it would take him 157 years for <laughs> them to earn a minimum wage just regularly off it. That's, by the way, that's minimum wage for one person divided by a whole band. Times four. Yeah, so times, yeah, times four. Hmm. Need. So that's, he's just one person though. So that would. Fucking hell. Um, and how many how many users? Yeah, it's it gets really crazy. You can yeah. do all sorts of crazy maths. Well, man, and I mean, we spoke about this before you left, but like, there's even rumours that they're all dropping the payments they're making to artists. I just don't understand why they don't just double what they charge people for subscriptions. Like, it's a pretty fucking cheap deal for a service, and even Netflix, you know, like what at ten fifteen dollars a month, it's bugger all. I yeah. charge people, like I would pay 20, I would pay, say like in the past I was buying like a CD a week, for example. So, you know, even if I was buying a CD a month, that's $30 a month. Why not just charge $30 a month for Spotify? I agree. That's like totally. more, more than reasonable. Yeah. And I wouldn't have any qualms about paying that. Yeah, we did. And we definitely did mention that. And I did think it while I was away. Like, holy crap, I feel I'm getting like insane value for money yeah. because I come from that time. Whereas maybe just kids from the future, mm. but kids from the future can get fucked because when <laughs> I was a kid, I got 50 cents a week pocket money <laughs> yeah. and I was trying to buy albums. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, Save whereas, up for like four years to buy Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah. Siamese I, Dream. I rarely bought albums when I was a kid. Whereas as soon as I started earning a wage, yeah, it was definitely one a week. Um, the other thing is that Netflix... The last like popular pay service for TV before streaming came in was Foxtel here, mm. and it was about was it fifty bucks a month more? Something absurdly expensive. At I think. least fifty yeah. bucks a month, maybe. And that wouldn't even include more. all the channels that people actually want. Exactly. Or if you want to watch sport or something, it it adds up big time. Yeah, yeah. DVDs, right? When you used to go to Video Easy. Seven bucks. On your weekend, seven bucks, and you'd probably get two and a couple of weeklies, so you'd probably spend 15 or 20 bucks a week oh, well, on hiring shit out. Oh, for new releases yeah. overnight. Let's say you're spending 20 bucks a week, 80 a month, and you're getting Netflix for $12 a month. Yeah. Come on. 
It's really crazy. Man, this is getting interesting because now I'm sort of wondering maybe Winter Sun are onto a winner. Like as much as it's annoying for people to not be able to hear it on their subscribed streaming service of choice, maybe it pays off for them monetarily. I mean, obviously it does for $65 for a fucking crowdfund, but for any normal sort of band, yeah, I don't know. Who knows? So I think there are some holdouts. Beatles famously Mm. held out from streaming, even though, you know, aren't they all dead? Tool is the other one because I had to, yes, pirate it, Tool. I'm extremely sorry, but I've bought every single one of your albums plus Salival plus countless yeah. shirts and hoodies. And Fuck Salival, $95 for a VHS and fucking, I bought the DVD. Yeah. I wasn't a sucker. And then my idiot friend put it in re-creaming soda and fucked it up. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I, I downloaded it because it was like I'm in another country and I want to listen to Tool. Yeah, but my CDs at home, so I'm gonna pirate. Well, I mean, the new Winter Sun. Surely it. it's on YouTube, eh? Someone's chucked it on there. Probably. So yeah. the amount of people will be listening to that, and they get nothing. So yeah, yeah. <coughs> and my experiment at the start of the last year was similar. Like, look at the tool thing. I've given them, if you count the albums, the saliva, and the t-shirts I bought, it's plus album tickets. I've only been to one tool concert, but it's probably well over five hundred bucks I've spent on them, or at about five hundred bucks. You know. What's that in streams? Yeah. 0.5 of a cent, $500. And I've listened to it a hell of a lot, but that was always my thing about streaming is that, yeah, if you could get the royalty to that level, I think it would work out about the It's same. ongoing forever, you know? It's not a one-off buy like it. Yeah. goes. You keep keep earning for, for eternity, you know? Yeah. So, and, and in Band Light Tool, like you even just said you were listening to Undertow on the plane. So, it's not like mm. people just stop listening to it if it's good enough. Yeah. Royalties never end. We should go eat gnocchi. (laughs) 